you may have remembered back in your little league days, then they would have all-stars at the end of the season and, and we sure. would all try out for all-stars and we'd hopefully make the team and play on into a little bit of the summer. But um, boy, that world has certainly changed uh, now that select and club and travel, which you can all you can use those terms all kind of interchangeably. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the club. This podcast is dedicated to club and travel sports. I'm your host, Matt Gildon. I've spent the past 20 years getting my three kids through the sports landscape, through club and travel, all the way through to college recruiting and even a little bit beyond. There's a lot to cover in club and travel sports world, so I'm super excited to jump into it. We're going to cover it all. And again, thanks for joining and welcome to the club. Today, we're really excited to have baseball as a topic. We have Josh Florin, who is president of the Coppell Baseball Association and someone who is very involved in the, in the baseball scene. So, uh, Josh, thanks for taking the time today. And uh, how's it all going? Yeah, well, Matt, I appreciate you having me. I always uh, enjoy spending time talking about baseball. And um, as you know, I've been real active here in North Texas for some time now um, in all things baseball from the recreational league um, that we all knew as little league growing up uh, all the way up to select club ball, travel ball and all things in between. So I was excited to get the call. Glad to jump online with you and uh, take this opportunity to talk a little bit about what the landscape looks like out here. Yeah. So actually with that in mind, can you just give us an overall landscape of select you know, club baseball here in, in the local area or in the, in the region and, um, you know, how, we, how many clubs are we talking about, all the different levels? Just, you know, give us your perspective on the landscape. Yeah, the uh, baseball landscape, as you can imagine, um, with your experience in all other sports, uh, the baseball landscape is huge. It's, it's uh, growing um, by leaps and bounds, especially uh, it is across the United States, but it's big here in Texas and here in the North Texas area that we consider the DFW Metroplex, um, it's big business. And, and there are a lot of kids uh, that we're seeing the numbers continue to grow. Um, the interest in the sport is continuing to grow. You've seen what they've done to the uh, major league rules and all the changes that have come in uh, just this last year. And so we're, we're excited. Hopefully that'll draw even more attention to the sport of baseball and continue to uh, see youth baseball uh, grow by, um, you know, even higher percentages as we go you know into the next couple of years but yeah we've seen it um really flourish we've seen the number of club baseball programs just explode across the metroplex hundreds and hundreds of teams and clubs um but you know if you look at the entire landscape across uh, most uh, of our cities you have everything from as you mentioned earlier here in my city i'm the president of the baseball association um, and included within the baseball association of most cities, that includes everything from recreational ball that can start down in what they call blast ball, uh, which is even before T-ball. Um, and the recreational program grows all the way up through 14, 15, 16U, and some kids stay there. Um, wow. With rec ball, it's interesting because they also then introduce, you may have remembered back in, your little league days, then they would have all-stars at the end of the season and, and we'd sure. all try out for all-stars and we'd hopefully make the team and play on into a little bit of the summer. But um, boy, that world has certainly changed uh, now that select and club and travel, which you can all, you can use those terms all kind of interchangeably. 
Um, once folks go into All-Stars and then start seeing some of these club and select sports, um, kids and parents get really excited about the possibility of playing at even higher levels. And so mm -hmm. we've seen those numbers just explode. That's great. So you're seeing an increased like total participation across the board, across all levels. Is that, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say, is that correct? You know, it's funny you mentioned that because there's, um, we've definitely seen uh, a little bit of a depletion in the recreational uh, side of things. And I think a lot of that has to do with kids and parents aspirations to launch earlier and earlier into that select level ball, that club mm -hmm. level ball. Um, and so we're still seeing really strong numbers with the real young ages getting into uh, recreational ball, but then we're seeing a, a pretty quick exodus for those that want to play at a higher level who, once they get the fever in all-star ball, they love to jump to these select programs and, We've done all levels of that uh, as a family. Um, you know, I've got uh, two boys that both play uh, yeah. for various select programs. Um, and so we we are in the thick of it every weekend. Yeah. So how did you get started? Was your path with your boys similar to what you just outlined? Or did y'all stay in rec for a little bit longer? Or, you know, I guess each kid is different. Yeah, we all stayed in. Um, we started in rec. Um, that was actually, you know, Back in our days, we might have gone from Little League to Pony League and then, you know, ultimately on to high school ball. And there were a few travel teams around, but not nearly like they have today and not nearly the level and experience of professional coaching that's out there. And so, um, yeah, to your to your point, we started in recreational uh, league and, you know, played for the various uh, teams until they got to I think both of the boys were at their seven, seven U year and tried out for all-stars. And then once they made all-stars by eight U, we were um, you know, on a select team. Uh, I coached that select team for several years with a good buddy of mine. Um, and we took that team all the way up till 12 U until we decided to turn it over and advance that program into a paid coaching program. Wow. So at seven U, so rec until about seven or eight, and then on into what is collectively you know, select baseball. So you've been in it for a little bit then. That's right. Yeah, we started started with, uh, we didn't do blast ball, but we started with t-ball and then moved on to coach pitch. And then once they started kid pitch, then we kept um, moving forward to all-stars and then on to select clubs. And fortunately for my two boys, uh, we've, we've been on the same select club, uh, team for, um, their entire, um, club team experience. Wow. That's great. As far as you, I guess with two boys, you stay pretty busy. Can you talk about kind of the typical day in the life of, in the throes of the season? And, you know, I don't know if y'all do, you know, outside training or, you know, lessons as, as we, we do in, you know, in, in volleyball and hockey, we call them, Hey, I'm going to get a quick lesson in today. Uh, and work on different skills. Is that kind of the same for baseball or how, what's that look like? Yeah, I certainly, I, I get this question a lot, as you can imagine, um, being on the board of a baseball association, we get a whole lot of questions from um, young families that are just getting started and what to expect. And uh, when they start seeing more of that um, select baseball, those programs, what does that look like for my boy? What are the tryouts and, uh, you know, for 
boys and girls alike when they're just getting started the recreational program is a great place to start but man their eyes open immediately when they get into these uh select club programs and um for many of us that means uh practices every single night in fact tonight as soon as we get off of here uh, i'll be taking my oldest to uh his pitching lesson followed by a hitting lesson and those are two separate outside instructors that aren't even um well, one I'm misconnected to his uh, baseball uh, mm-hmm. coaching group, um, but a lot of folks we we have outside coaches who, when we're not doing fielding practice or we're not doing a team hitting practice, we're out either um, doing T work or doing um, having another separate paid coach. Um, so between my two boys, we have every night of the week filled. Um, both of them have a fielding practice, both of them have a hitting practice, and then both of them have separate individual pitching and hitting instructors that we see. And we do that uh, pretty much year round. Um, Good so Lord. I would say if you're if you're a select uh, baseball player and you're playing at, at that level, um, they highly encourage outside instruction. Yeah, I can imagine that's probably a differentiator for some some players who probably accelerate or if they're trying to just, you know, catch up a little bit, that kind of thing. Hey, but I want to go back real quick. I liked your comment about, Hey, parents' eyes get get opened when they get in, get into club ball. Could you, you said something about, you know, the, Hey, it's the practices and all that. Is it the frequency, the intensity, the length, the duration, the competition, is it all of it? Like what are, what are the one or two things that really kind of catch parents' eyes and go, Oh man, yeah, I'm here sure. we go. It's, you know, when you when you are in a rec program, typically you got one practice a week, and then you follow that with um, some form of weekend game, uh, either individual or doubleheader style games. Um, then when they get into the select program, you have multiple practices per week, and um, encouraged to have outside additional instruction um, that you can't get with, you know, that group setting. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you've got, like I said, hitting, pitching instructors. If you're a catcher, you're doing individualized catching instruction. Um, for individuals who are working on speed and agility, they'll have separate agility uh, instructors that they'll go to to try to help even just give them that much more of an edge. Um, and not not everybody, I'll say, you know, does all of those things. So there are certainly parents who put their kids in the program um, and are perfectly fine with just the two practices a week and mm-hmm. don't do much outside. But um, I will say a lot of a lot of the parents were looking to, you know, help our kids um, and differentiate them and help them just get the, the best possible uh, outcome to building their skills. And so we, we do. We end up with quite a few practices per week. Um, but it doesn't, it extends well beyond even the practices. Cause when you jump on these team on these teams, you're talking about, you know, probably 20 or so games in the fall. And sometimes you're talking about 40 to 45, 50 games in the spring slash summer. Um, are, are, are these tournaments or you play in a league or what does we that do look like? A combination like? of both. So there's something up here in Texas in North Texas called the Texas elite baseball association. So it's kind of a, a select league of sorts. And so you okay. can play league games, you participate through your association um, and you can play a handful eight to 12 
uh, of those games. Um, but most folks like to get through with those. If you're talking about your spring season, you're trying to wrap those up um, in March and then April, May, June, and July, those are, that's your tournament season. Um, so for us, that means, you know, we would try to get three weekends out of four um, a month uh, with big tournaments. And mm-hmm. if you're not used to the tournament scene, um, one, there's certainly an increased cost. And we can talk a little bit about that in a minute. But there's a cost to all of these that get passed along to all of the players. Sure. Um, so the number of tournaments, the higher number of tournaments, the more expensive that season becomes for you on top of all of the uh, registration and club fees that you'll pay. So what we've seen is, you know, when those tournament weekends, you usually do a Saturday uh, combination of two pool games. And then based on your performance in those pool games, that'll place you in a bracket for Sunday. Okay. We've had some Sundays that run, you start at eight or nine 30 in the morning. And if you keep winning, you may have to play up to four games or so through Sunday um, and end up with a, you know, 8, 9 p.m., sometimes 10 p.m. Uh, championship game if you're lucky. Um, but, yeah, those can those can end up being really long Sundays and, and really long involved weekends. Wow. That's that's that sounds very intense. I mean, plus you're outside. It's in the heat. I suspect so I can probably uh, make for some some long weekends. Yeah, um, they don't let us play at Globe Life, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an oversight in my opinion, but uh, we'll 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 tackle that problem later. Be great. So, um, so earlier you mentioned about some of the rule changes changes in in baseball this year, and uh, yeah, I've been kind of fascinated with watching the Rangers play and any other game I'm catching with the pitch clock. So I think it's helped the length of the game improve, and that's probably a whole other topic. But I, I'm getting to a question, which is how long does a you know, a select, let's say, you know, 15 U baseball game. I don't even know how many, my boys didn't play baseball. So I mean, is it, how many innings do you play? How long does it last? Yeah. There's a lot of different tournaments that each tournament has its own uh, rules, but kind of rule of thumb is uh, most of your younger um, age groups, they're going to play about an hour and a half game or six innings, whichever comes first. Oh, okay. So they're timed boxes. They're timed. Um, very rarely do your younger age groups even get to six innings. That's usually a three to four, maybe five game or a five inning game um, with a hard stop um, at an hour and a half. Now, if you're home team, they let the home team finish out that inning. um, So it could stretch a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Some of these tournaments then on your Sunday, they'll expand it to an hour 45. Um, with my 15 year old, he plays with a 15 and a 16 year old, uh, club. Mm-hmm. And, uh, both of those, uh, end up with these, uh, you'll, you can hear it. You might've heard, we've got these, um, perfect game tournaments, five tool tournaments. They're very popular right now. And uh, what are, what are these? These are the tournament, uh, organizations that host these big tournaments. Okay. And it's um, once you start playing some of those tournaments and you get older uh, in your age group, you can uh, end up with most of those are two hour games or seven innings, whichever comes first. So, okay, um, certainly it, it extends in time as your uh, age group goes up. Are, are these are these uh, time and 
time boxing, does that apply to say you know, the championship game and the top bracket or do they let them play it out or? No, they still, they still usually hold okay. that two hour mark. Okay. So you said 20 or 25 games in the fall and then upwards of 50, 60 games in the spring. Probably 45 to 50 um, is what you get because you'll stretch that. They will start practicing as early as end of January, 1st of February for your spring. Uh, Most of your tournaments, we've done some late Februarys, but most of them start in March. And then you go straight through. A lot of clubs go all the way through July. So to your point earlier about, you know, parents' eyes being wide open to the world of club ball, Um, You know, that's another consideration for folks wanting to go that route. Um, Your your summer vacation schedule changes pretty dramatically and and you you tend to, you know, really have to think about where you can work one of those in, Mm -hmm. especially if you've got a real busy club who's trying to host or trying to participate in a whole lot of different tournaments. So uh, we have seen that be a deterrent to some families who refuse to, you know, want to play Sundays early and Sundays that late or really want, you know, June, July vacations. It, it really becomes a, a challenge for, for those families that she'll try to preserve that important time. We've always made it work. We've, we've managed around that. Um, another thing to remember when you're, you know, my 15 year old just finished his freshman year at the high school here. And uh, they are, they're real quick to tell you that the spring break uh, period is a very important tournament a uh, couple of weeks for uh, high school ball. So okay, you lose your spring break too once you get into high school. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How does the club versus high school, you know, conflict and you know how do the schedules complement each other? Do you have to have you know a decision and discussions prior to getting into high school ball and club ball? How do you handle that? Yeah, we, we just finished our uh, first season of that. So uh, we are currently in the middle of our summer club ball following our first freshman um, baseball season. And, you know, for a lot of these kids, you know, right now, you know, they all have aspirations of being in the major leagues. But, sure. uh, you know, once they get on a select program, the excitement really builds towards your high school uh, career and and trying out for that team and seeing where you fall on varsity JV. Some have JV freshman teams, um, depending on the size of the school. And so, uh, but once you get in, it's it, it is a little bit different. And the high school coaches are very prescriptive about your ability to play outside of the high school season, especially in spring. Like how how are they prescriptive? Like very prescriptive in the pitch counts uh, or well, they're prescriptive in that they. They don't really want you to play with your club team during the spring season. Gotcha. So you pretty much, you've been playing fall and spring, you know, select or club baseball. And all of a sudden freshman season, you, you can play fall with your team. Um, but then once spring comes, uh, they really like to um, have all of your baseball time, energy, hours, resources committed to that high school team. And, and for good reasons, they have to, you know, really keep a close watch on, especially all the pitchers' arms. Um, you don't want overuse. You certainly don't want injuries happening outside of um, sure. the high school team. And and they, 
monitor those practices and really want to make sure that they're very aware of what type of work um, is happening. Even some of your private instruction outside of the high school team. Um, I've heard of some coaches telling them that they they didn't want them throwing bullpens with their pitching instructors outside because they can't monitor the pitch counts. They don't know which, which days they may be wanting to have that child, that kid, uh, throw bullpen during mm-hmm. the week at high school practice. And so um, for us, we we continued our outside hitting instruction. We dialed way back on our pitching instruction outside of the high school um, daily practices and really let the high school kind of just take it over. Gotcha. What um, what percentage of, I guess, at high school, let's just say varsity, yeah, varsity, JV, and freshman, just like all the, the typical sports I would suspect. What percentage of kids on the varsity, kids on the JV, and kids on the freshman team also play club ball? Is it every every one of them? Is it half? What's it's, that look no, like? it's going to be just about every one of them. Yeah. Um, I uh, I don't know of very many that isn't they that weren't playing club ball immediately following. In fact, our varsity team, I saw um there are tools out there that you can watch certain uh, teams play. Um, there's oh, like Snap. streaming services. Yeah. Game changer, team snap, um, all kinds of different tools that, you know, back in the old days, we used to have our paper book and we'd have a bookkeeper that would sit there and, um, you know, uh, register every, every pitch, every play, every out. Now they do it all electronically and folks remotely can watch the games, but it also means if you have somebody, on you know one of the teams and you want to find out what team they're on you can follow that team and be alerted when that club is playing you can watch their games live streaming on um, some of them actually even do video live streaming Uh, Mm -hmm. most of them do uh, just regular play-by-play live streaming but oh I got um, yeah so as soon as some of these varsity kids will literally finish their last district game uh, I would see an alert that next morning that they had already started the first game with their club team. Wow. So they wait until the last minute. And once they finish high school ball and it's officially over their club teams, they snatch them up and they get started. Wow. But it's a high percentage. I think a lot of them feel like um, for some situations and in some high schools, the caliber of play that they're seeing um, is actually higher in a lot of these uh, club tournaments. It's, It's higher than what they see in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would for sure. In my mind, I would suspect so. And that's, you know, uh, our daughter, uh, you know, came up through the club ranks in volleyball and plays in college now. And, you know, high school ball versus club ball in the volleyball world, there's a gap there. Is there? Yeah. I mean, it's a different, it's a different vibe. You know, it's a little more with that, you know, high school spirit and it's, you know, it's all very healthy, but, um, yeah, from a competition perspective and um, athleticism and just caliber of play, my opinion, and I yeah. think most volleyball people would agree with me, the talent is now the game's that more elite. said, I will say, there, I mean, there's obviously some, there's a lot of very strong high school programs up here in the North Texas and across Texas, um, for that matter. Uh, I mean, Flower Mound is in our district, and Flower Mound ended up winning state. And really? Having watched those games. Um, there's no better high school ball than, you know, playing in some of the districts up here in, in North Texas. So 
Was it all pitching or hitting or just, just across the board talent at every position? Okay. Strong defense, um, strong offense. And of course it never hurts to have, you know, a couple of stud pitchers that yeah. can shut down a game and, and can really, you know, put up a lot of outs. So yeah, we've, we've, we've seen all of that up here. And so I, as competitive as it is, you really, if you want to play varsity ball in these types of districts, um, you really do need to play club ball outside of that to keep keep your skills going, keep moving forward, keep seeing high level talent, um, so you can you can compete uh, once you get that varsity shot. Wow, um, so many things I want to ask about. We'll we'll get to them here in a second. But um, so with this level of commitment, I just want to talk a little bit about you. Know, that's got to impact your normal social life, right? I mean. People go, oh, we, sorry, we didn't invite you to that party. We figured you had a uh, a tournament that weekend. All of a sudden, you're kind of, yeah, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Josh and and his crew in a while. Oh yeah, they're playing baseball. Yeah, that's why I didn't invite them. So, right. you know, that's what my wife and I always kind of joked about. But uh, it takes up a lot of time. And do, do you feel like it has some sort of implication to your social life? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I I think all baseball parents. Um, would tell you that if they've continued to play at that selecting club level and, um, you know, especially if they've stayed with a, a team for a good amount of time, they get to know those parents really, really well because yeah. we spend more time with uh, with those parents than we do uh, most of our other social circles outside of baseball. And it definitely is impactful. We, we miss a lot of things because of baseball. We miss Halloween parties because we're in Halloween tournaments across the city and, um, you know, there's, it's not uncommon for us to have to turn some of these down, but, you know, that said, I think a lot of these baseball parents, we'd all say that, you know, it's well worth it. We, we enjoy it. Um, yeah. you know, we, we balance making sure that we're at the things we need to be with for, for all of our kids and, um, and likewise for important events that are, you know, in, in our community and with our other friends, but for sure you spend an inordinate amount of time. So when you're picking, when you're picking your uh, your select or your club baseball team, take a hard look at those parents because you're going to spend a lot of time with them. Yeah, and you and they end up being some of your best friends, and you know end up even outside of baseball doing things together and enjoying that time. But you know I've also seen it the other way where um, you know there's situations where parents can really bring down a team. And oh, for sure. For There's sure, a lot of that sure. out there. So you just kind of got to balance that. I know that uh, for us, we've got a family that we've, our two kiddos have played together starting at 10s all the way through 18s. And we see them out now outside of, of, uh, of volleyball. Obviously our girls have moved on. And um, two weeks ago, we went to a concert together. We played a little pickleball together. We get to, together and just hang out and the stuff. And, and of course we rehash the good old days and we rehash the bad old days and the what ifs and what could have been and the victories. And, and of course, you know, we talked about, you know, parents and I think this is a little bit of a segue into something that I, I, I suspect is common across every type of club sport depend, you know, no matter what it is, right. Is parents make a huge difference in oh, the yeah. overall experience, not just for the parents, but for the players. So 
Can you provide a little perspective on that? Is that what you see in baseball? Has that been your experience? Very much so. You know, you spend so much time and you kind of gravitate towards the, you know, the folks that you enjoy being around. And, um, and likewise, you know, you get to see a whole lot of different personalities out there. And um, it's interesting with, you know, just listening to how certain parents, um, you know, coach their kids from the stands and, you know, we'll, we'll chat back at umpires and uh, to, to even, even their own coaches from time to time. And, you know, we have a perspective in our family and kind of how we like to handle ourselves at these games. We tend to try to be a little bit more quiet, let the coaches do their job, let the umpires make their calls. Sure. We can get, um, you know, we can, we can, make ourselves heard on a bad call periodically, but never disrespectful. And I think that's, that's the thing we try to keep sending that message to, to our boys. And, you know, you're going to see a lot of things out there, um, a lot of behaviors that you don't want to emulate and we don't want you to emulate. We want it to be positive. Um, I've seen a lot of kids torn down by parents. Um, you know, I've seen, it's incredibly hard to see um, because I think, you know, when you, when you watch a kid out there and, their first reaction is to look back to see what their parents' reaction was to whatever play was just made or a strikeout or, you know, I see that it's, it's very disheartening. It's hard enough to play. Ba- I mean, baseball is a game of failure. So you don't want to lay on top of that, you know, the guilt of disappointing your parents. And so we try to keep it positive. You know, the ultimate goal for us and, and what we try to preach, even through the baseball association here for the city, is we're just trying to drive the love of the game. We want these kids to enjoy playing for a long time and they don't have to play club ball to enjoy baseball. I mm-hmm. love seeing a good 16 U, you know, rec team out there still loving the game, still learning, still improving in their skills um, and, you know, having supportive parents around them. That's what it's all about for us. We want to continue to drive that love for the game. If my boys today told me that they were burned out and tired and didn't want to do it anymore, we wouldn't do it. But, you know, the truth is some of these kids, they enjoy this game so much that, you know, it's not uncommon for our kids to ask to be dropped off up at the batting cages just to do some tea work on their own. And we'll drop them off and pick them up in an hour, hour and a half. And or they them and and their friends, they coordinate times to meet up at the cages and get some get some work in. And, you know, if, if they're doing that kind of thing on their own, that means they're still enjoying the game and they want to continue to work towards it. It's a very different situation if I'm forcing them in the car and forcing them to practice or forcing them to go to the backyard and throw or do some tea work. And yeah, if it, if it, if it comes to that, then, you know, I don't, I, I don't know why um, we would put them in a situation to just burn them out. If they're not loving the game and you, and you don't have to love the game in the same way everybody else does. And that's what I try to express to parents and coaches is, you know, you gotta, you gotta meet these kids where they're at. And um, as long as they're having fun, that's that's the most important thing. Now, if they're having fun and they're enjoying all these extra lessons and all this money we're putting into it, because I can tell you, I think you and I've talked about it before. We'd hate to go back and calculate how much we've spent on. <laughs> I do not want to know. No, no. I just I think of it. It's not even a sunk cost. It is um, the cost of me investing in what my kid really enjoys doing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we've spent countless hours driving an hour and a half away to games in the car together, talking about things, talking about sports and talking about 
school and the importance of getting grades, um, you know, to stay eligible and keep going, talk about girls, all the things that we've, you know, talked about in that car have all been meaningful moments and well worth the investment. Yeah, I, man, I could not agree more. And we were in some town not too long ago and I can't remember why we were there. It was after the boys quit playing hockey and we were just in the same town and we just talked about all the restaurants we went and you remember that time when so-and-so parents you know you know said this or just all these great memories that that come back uh to it um so let's let's talk a little bit about that passion i i think maybe for the listener if you're thinking about getting into club sports, one of the many pieces of advice uh, I'd given, I definitely want to get your thoughts on this, is that you have to mix that, you have to make it fun. And so, you know, how do you balance that fun, but yet, especially when they get a little bit older, you know, you kind of start talking about, you know, you need to kind of get your rest or you need to not run around the hotel if you're staying in a hotel. And, but yeah, you want them to have fun because I think it's important for them to associate fun with the sport that gives them memories and feelings. And I think that contributes to passion. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, that, that word passion, that that's really what you're trying to drive towards the game. And, you know, there's a, I think number one, um, really spending time getting to know what type of coach that you're signing up to play with. Um, we've all, we've all been there. We've all had coaches who, might have known the game, might have really been an excellent coach, but their approach to the game was not good for the style of coaching I needed. You know, the the over-yeller, over-cusser. Yeah, can you give an example maybe? Yeah, I mean, we've had coaches that, you know, are very vocal, very loud, um, very condemning when an error is made and – you know, can tear somebody down right in front of all the parents and in front of the coaches and the, you know, everybody out there in front of their own peers. And there's, you know, nothing worse than realizing you just made a bad play. Oh, and oh. now on top of it, you're going to have some screaming coach tear you down in front of everybody. I've seen it. I've, you know, watched it play out with my kids. I've watched it play out in my own sporting uh, life growing up. And, you know, there are some people, I mean, each kid kind of, requires, you know, knowledge of what motivates them and what helps them become mm-hmm. the best and really enjoy what they're doing. So I think one of the biggest, it's kind of like in work too, right? The reason you leave your job is because of your boss. Yeah. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. I see a lot of kids who jump club team to club team to club team. And I'm like, why are you not ever satisfied? Well, part of it is it may be, you know, parents that are just kind of overmanaging the situation. If they don't go find a team that's going to play their kid exactly where they want to play, how they want to play them. They're going to keep moving until they find that. And a lot of them, once they start that hopping, they don't, they can't find a, a yeah. home. Um, for I, us, I, we found a coach that that worked really well for us, um, part of the Harmio family, and he runs the Harmio Baseball Club and has done a really good job, but he's real quiet, uh, manages the game really well. And for us, that worked, you know, really, really well. And so we've continued to pay him to continue to – work with our boys. And, um, you know, I think there's a right fit for each of those players, but finding the right coach, I think is the first thing to helping to drive love of the game. Yeah. Um, the next thing is, you know, you got to be able to teach. It's kind of like we do with 
conversations around um, grades and school. You know, there's a time where you've got to get your homework done. You got to buckle down, and life may not be that much fun. Um, but it's a means to an end. You got to make grades so you can play baseball. So we have these conversations all the time. So you know, we have to be a parent. You know, a lot of the times, and be the one that says, you know, have you gotten this done and this done? Are you making sure to get, you know, this grade over here up? And um, it's the same way on the baseball field. What they learn is when you hit the baseball field. Um, the horse play has got to go. We always, you know, say once you hit the line, you know, if you're supposed to hit mm-hmm. the line at six o'clock at night, the expectation is, you know, hit the line at six o'clock, have all your gear ready, have everything ready and, you know, be ready to be coached at that moment. And then you go out there and you, you work on whatever the coach wants you to work on. You run through all the skills, you do all that, but you do it very focused on trying to get better and better and better. Um, then as soon as, you know, that whistle's blown and that that's off, you know, we let everybody relax and it's not, we're not going to sit there and rehash, um, you know, every play that was made or overly talk about, you know, everything that just happened. Sure. If they want to talk about it, we open and engage that conversation. Sometimes they want to shut that down and they want to move on to something else. Um, we try to make all of our travel ball fun. You know, I think that's a, another part of it is I get it. They're there to do a job, but there are ways to do it. Our coach, you know, tends to like to uh, make sure they understand not to eat heavy in between meals, but, you know, nutritious snacks. Here's what we think you ought to have. And, you know, there's definitely folks that are like, oh, I'd rather have a cheeseburger right now. Well, you know, there's <laughs> going to be a time for that. But right now, you know, we're trying to keep your energy up and we're trying to, you know, um, make sure that you have all of the the glucose and everything that you need and all the hydration you need to perform well, you know, at this next game. And so we do, we spend a lot of time being on and we spend a lot of time being off. And I think that's, that's the important dynamic because I will say at the club level, especially early on kids get really frustrated when they're really focused on trying to improve and get better and hone their skills. Yeah. And then they've got, you know, this guy horse playing behind him, it really doesn't become fun um, when that horse play somebody else has done causes the rest of the team to run. And all of a sudden now you're running and now baseball practice has (laughs) ceased, has stopped being fun. And it is now, you know, uh, very frustrating. So I try to tell them, you know, don't do anything that's going to reflect poorly on you, your family, your baseball team, but certainly don't get your, uh, other peers in trouble and having to run just because you couldn't stay focused and concentrate on the baseball field. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a, a drag when, when that happens, but it does happen. It does happen, but it's all supposed to be fun. I mean, I hopefully if they're out there enjoying growing their skills and becoming a better baseball player, they're enjoying playing the game. If really they wanted to go out there and horse around, then, you know, how, how, serious are they about that now i I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because trying to manage a seven-year-old in a baseball field i mean you're going to have some some amount of that (laughs) you you have to have a level of tolerance having for sure coach you have to have a level of tolerance but you're also out there as a leader and as a mentor for these kids you're going to have to help them eventually grow up and get to the point where they can control themselves and and manage themselves for those short periods of time yeah uh a few minutes ago, you were kind of talking about hopping clubs. Um, I, I, you know, once a 
club hopper always a club hopper? I mean, that seemed to be my experience with a few players in our chosen sports, you know, our experience. Yeah. I mean, do you see that where just, man, they're just never happy and they're going from this club to that club? We definitely see those, those families who don't seem to ever be happy. And, you know, I, I'm, why is that? Just, what, what do you think drives that? Honestly, I, I think it's the aspirations that the parents have for the kids. Okay. I think, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to come from parents with a, you know, a long history of, of playing baseball and, you know, living out their glory days through their kids. Now there is some of that, but I think a lot of it is you kind of get wrapped up and in the competitive nature of tryouts and making teams. And then you're on the teams and you're trying and you really want them to play in particular positions and they're rotating. And then maybe they're, you know, having certain innings where they're having to sit the bench and, Parents sometimes have unrealistic expectations for how their kids should play, are playing. Um, now, I say that, too. I've also seen some coaches who have, you know, uh, misused some kids and maybe overlooked some kids who had some real potential. And for various reasons, they played other kids in other spots or a certain amount of time. So I'm not saying it's all on parents because I've seen it both sides. But I do think that when they come in with a certain expectation and if they're quick to, um, you know, jump to another team, just trying to find that thing that they're looking for that will fit perfectly for their child. I tend to see them hop a lot more often. Yeah. Um, And then I, I see others who are completely content with staying with, you know, a particular team. I have seen really talented kids who had the ability to play at even higher levels with, with teams that were performing even better. Um, And I've seen them stay on certain teams because the parents liked the parents and the kids really enjoyed playing for that coach and uh, with those kids. Yeah. Familiar familiarity with that organization. Absolutely. You know, if there's administrators type that, yeah, I, I, I could not agree with that, with that more. Absolutely. Um, so you, you, that's why I love these conversations because you'll, you'll bring something up and touch on something like, oh yeah, we definitely got to get into that. And I want to talk just a little bit about tryouts and, uh, and a, and a past guest, this came up and I, I said, for sure, we could have a whole segment, whole you know, dedicated, you know, probably two hour podcast to tryouts and what that looks like. Can you give kind of a, an overview of tryouts and, you know, are they realistic? Some sports that we've been a part of the tryout, the formal tryout really didn't mean anything. They may be trying to fill one roster spot yeah. and they're and these kids are coming to tryouts and don't realize that, you know, they think it's an open tryout and every spot's open, you know, talk a little bit about select baseball and the tryout process. Yeah. This, uh, the tryout process certainly when you are early, you start out seven, eight, nine, you, um, you know, that tryout process, you're really getting a feel for who's out there, you know, what kind of talent do you have, who has potential. And um, you see, you see a lot more emphasis on the tryout to really try to make, you know, a certain number of teams at every, at every age level and have them, you know, all skill level at the appropriate level 
um, for that age group. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that come through as they begin to play more together. And especially if they're able to, you know, keep those teams held together. Uh, what you see is they're there. Well, one, there are far fewer players that are coming out because most of them try to get on a team. They try to stay on a team and they kind of grow there. Then you have some of those kids who are hopping around looking for other opportunities. So you may have onesie twosies by the time you're getting up into 14, 15, 16 you a lot of these kids have played together for a long time and um the tryout may be because they're looking for a catcher Mm -hmm. they lost a middle infielder and they need a middle infielder they're looking for a strong bat to round out their lineup um so for various reasons you may have a tryout and they may be looking for something that is so particular that your kid may be talented, but it just may not be a fit for that team at that time. But the rest of the roster, they've been playing together. And so they may even come out to the tryout also and go through it. But you see it almost as a formality as it gets yeah. older. And, um, they're really looking for something unique that's going to bring something different to that club. Yeah. And if you've got a strong middle infielder that's a, that's a you know, average bat, and this other team already has middle infield all locked up, then you may still be a pretty talented player, but it just may not be a fit for that team at that time. Do a little side question here. Do the clubs have multiple teams at the same age level that play different competitive levels and play different levels of tournaments? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you just, uh, and I'm, and I'm not endorsing any one club just so we, we know. Um, yeah. No, I, you I know, understand. You have the the Dallas Tigers out there. You got UBC. You got um, the Mustangs. You got all of these different clubs, and many of them have a very long storied history and are very good clubs. But they may carry three, four teams at the same age level, and they may have one team that performs and is their majors team, which is the highest level in the whole tiering process. Okay. You have a majors team, and then they may have a triple A team and two double A teams. Okay. And so your goal, another another good example that that I have become more familiar with, you know, down in College Station is an organization called the Twelve. Obviously named after Twelfth Man. Oh yeah. Down at Aggieland, um, but the Twelve is a big organization, and they had that same kind of tiering, where they like to, you know, allow folks the opportunity you know, uh, on a regular basis, you're, you're all trying, you're trying to play and get better and perform so that you can be moved up to the next team. And you may just be playing, you know, instead of double A ball, now you're playing triple A ball, which is just a step above. And then if you get to majors, you know, that's, that should be your highest performing kids and your highest performing teams at that level. So, so we do see that quite often. So are kids getting called up and sent down type thing during the during the season or once you, when you're on a team, that's your team. I think you, I work? see a combination of both um, in some of those bigger organizations where they do have um, a fair number of teams, you know, they may move somebody up for a little while, especially if they end up with an injury mm-hmm. um, and they need another pitcher, they'll go to the next closest program and maybe they have somebody targeted that would be a great person to, to move up. When you say program, are they talking the same, another team within your club? Yes. Within they your go club. outside within your club. Okay. Now there are, that's a whole nother 
podcast on guest players. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's on my list right here. I was about yeah. to kind of bring it up, but yeah, guest playing is this. a whole nother thing that people jump in between clubs. Okay. Um, it's very real. In fact, my son, both of my sons, um, they guest play, and so yeah. if they're not playing with their their team, and we happen to be in town, and they have a free minute, it is not uncommon for um, my boys to get text messages directly from some of the coaches that we know well that yeah. know that if, if our boys are available, they always love to play. So, um, and we make sure that our coach on our team is aware that, Hey, we're off this weekend coach. And this other team asked if we'd come guest play and they're always, you know, very open to doing that. Um, we're still very loyal to our, uh, central core team, but, um, if they've got downtime and they want to go play, man, they, it's it's not uncommon for coaches to get their names and start pulling them. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, I mean, how does that make you feel as a parent and you know, your kids out there guest playing, maybe someone has to sit now Are parents welcoming in some instances, or are they kind of standoffish? Yeah. I've seen, I've seen all the above. Yeah. I've seen, um, you know, it, it really depends on the coach and how they want to use a guest player and how they introduce that concept to their team and their parents, because I've seen, you know, guest players brought in and put at the bottom of the lineup and be brought in or be brought in and, and be told, look, we're bringing this kid in because he's going to be a pitcher only. We anticipate we're going to go deep on Sunday. We need another arm. And normally those situations are okay, but it's when they get brought in and have a considerable amount of playing time. And then all of a sudden somebody from the core team gets sat more often mm-hmm maybe doesn't make the lineup. I have seen quite a bit of friction and I've seen some coaches, you know, misplay that or mishandle it by knowing they're bringing in a couple of, you know, ringers for this one tournament. And I've heard coaches tell me that they, they tell their parents to, when it comes to winning tournaments, they will bring in, you know, individuals who have a whole lot of talent and may have something that'll really help the team. And that's just part of being a part of that team. Sure. And, and for us, that's not necessarily something that, you know, that we would have appreciated, you know, having been on one of those types of teams, that's the win at all cost team. We tend to like to be more part of the build skills and build kids individual capabilities at all costs, winning and losing. It means a whole lot more than I think it really does. Yeah. I like fall to be developmental and I like them to go out there and spend a whole lot of time taking a whole lot of ground balls and getting a lot of reps playing less tournaments. I like playing more tournaments in spring and getting a lot of tournaments under our belt. But at the end of the day, I couldn't care less if our team, you know, won 90% of their games, as long as our kids all got a lot of reps and all are progressing, getting better. That's the most important thing. So I think a lot of these teams, they put too much, too much onus on winning. And then that puts them into a position where they're attracted by pulling guest players who, are on other teams and can bring something to the table that'll, you know, that'll help them win at all costs. And then sometimes at the detriment of kids that are on their team. So we've seen all of it. Um, we try to manage, you know, guest playing requests respectfully um, and let the, and we tell the coach, you know, Hey, if we're going to come out, you know, it, it needs to be worth our while that he needs to get some at bats or he needs to be um, be able to pitch if that's what you're needing. But I like yeah. you to be up front with how you're going to play him up front so I know how to manage sitting in the stands along with parents who are all talking about who this kid is and why, why is he's he playing. Here? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's a uh, a little bit of a double-edged sword from the coach and club perspective. If you're a coach or a club that is more likely to bring in guest players, right? Parents, as they're, when they're picking clubs and trying out and all that stuff, they're going to, you know, if they're vetting out their organizations and their clubs and their coaches and all that to try to find the right fit, that's a piece of uh, information that I think what could bite them. Yeah. They may win more games because they brought in two, you know, a stud pitcher guest player, but Hey, you know, if you play on that team with that coach, you know, in, in these you know big games, they're going to bring in a guest player. That's right. And your kid could sit, you know that, right. And so, I mean, I can hear parents talking. Is that a fair absolutely. assessment? Yeah, that, that absolutely happens. And so, you know, it's, it's really easy to pull in guest players when you have some injuries. Because that's mm-hmm. real explainable. Hey, you know, I've yeah. got people in. We've got we don't have near enough arms for the weekend. Um, that's one of my kids plays on a team right now that they are just they got decimated with injuries. Yeah, got the injury um, bug. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so yeah. uh, we love to go play with them, and they know we're coming over, and their parents know us really well. So it's not adversarial. Um, but if we were brought in, you know, and they have a full roster, and all of a sudden. They're pitching, uh, my son's pitching over somebody else's son. Yeah, that can get real sticky real quick. Yeah. So we tend to try to gauge what we're being asked to do. Yeah, when, when they get the message, my first response is, if that was our weekend off, well, you know, there, there goes any of our other plans that we had. Yeah. But we also tell him, we there are many weekends where we tell him, no, this is an off weekend. We're going to be down. We're going to do things around the house. We try to manage it because if you just put it in the hands of these boys who love to play, they would play eight different teams every waking moment. And that, that's not all kids. That just happens to be what I'm dealing with. But we make sure my wife and I both are real firm that there's also got to be some downtime. And, and so we take weekends off. We just did that this last weekend and had family trip and we actually missed tournaments, you know, both boys. And we just make that a priority and make sure the coach knows up front our days where we're going to be out. And that's just, you know, part of it. It's important. You got to balance that to your point earlier about having fun. Yeah, for sure. You can't make life all about that. Yeah. Now, especially, you know, these, these younger ages, it, I think that it's so detrimental, maybe too harsh a word, but it takes a toll when these younger ages are, playing more, not getting that time off they need. I mean, they're young, their bodies are still developing. They've got to, you know, recover and, and, and do some other stuff, right? Go That's hang right. out with your friends, go to the pool, go to the movies, whatever it is you're going to do. But um, yeah, that's, that's a huge thing. I know, and it, maybe it's the same in baseball, but in, in our sports experience, if you had like a, uh, like a quote unquote off season league. And maybe that's, I'm not sure what that would equate to in baseball, but you know, in hockey, it was, right. you know, October until about March or so with your local league and your club play. And then a spring season, summer season would, and you're like, golly, and you got to commit to three more tournaments and you're <laughs> playing all over the country again. But as a parent, you were kind of your fear of missing out and not keeping up with the Joneses and all that kind of stuff. Is that also prevalent in baseball or is it so widely available you can? And you can play baseball 365 days a year oh, in Texas, potentially, right? If you wanted yeah. to. Yeah, we do. We, you know, we could easily play every month of the of the year. We tend to we tend to play up through July, take August off, 
that's usually when we plan all of our um, summer vacations or in mm-hmm. August, right before school starting. Um, I was very fortunate that my oldest son decided to not play football. And that's my other shameless plug will be for, you know, making sure as they're growing up, I love seeing kids play multiple sports, you know, go yeah, out. Hugely important. Hugely important. Find out what they really want to play. They may think they're a baseball player and then stumble into lacrosse. Um, our kids played every sport they could get their hands on. Um, and only just now going into high school did my oldest decide he really wanted to focus solely on mm-hmm. um, baseball. But he played a freshman year of football and had a great time. And I think it really helped uh, build other muscle groups. I think it's important just to make them well-rounded, but then also for their just their physical um, development. So I'm, yeah. I'm a huge proponent of that. But yeah, I think that we could play year round, but we take August off. Then we take obviously December and January. We take those largely off and really start earnestly in February with some of the coldest and most miserable practices <laughs> uh, you could even imagine. But yeah, so that's, we take about three months off a year. And when I say off, that is a very loose term because they, they hit year round. So we, Oh, do they, they take outside round. instruction year round? Absolutely. Okay. We lay off of the arms for a month here and a month there. They still do long toss and uh, just keep arms moving. Mm-hmm. But we take a little bit of a break in January, a little bit of a break in August, but we hit year round. So that's, that's something that that skill is just so difficult that, you know, you can't really get out of the rhythm of watching and timing up balls, getting T work in. So we do that year round, but that, I mean, that's a day a week. So it's pretty minimal. Then all of a sudden mm-hmm. in February, it all starts um, back in earnest. And then for the fall, it starts back end of August, you start some practices, but it's really September. Okay. But for those that are out there that are listening, I know you, there are plenty of people who play every single month and don't take any time off. And Do I know the clubs some push prioritize that? their time off and they make sure that they take July and August off. So do, do the clubs push to play year round? I mean, are coaches or organizations going, yeah, we need to keep you in lessons or we need to keep this going, that kind of thing. Or is it, is that not a thing? Yeah. I mean, they, the club teams definitely, obviously the longer they're going, the more the, they're making money, the, right? More money that makes for the club sure. team, the, uh, you know, I think most of them try to have a natural break somewhere end of July and start back up in August, but uh, start back up, you know, mid to end August to give people a little bit of time. But yeah, for the, for the most part, the the club programs, I mean, they're going 12 months out of the year with something. Okay. Maybe it's not tournaments anymore. Maybe it's just um, outside instruction that they're teaching uh, their kids. Um, but yeah, I think, I think these club programs are all pretty much year round programs. And I think yeah. that's why you've seen the proliferation of the clubs is people have realized, I mean, parents are putting big money into these. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can and you provide they, a range, Josh? I don't want to put you on the spot here, but can you provide a range of like, uh, I know in my sports every year you moved up 12 you know, to 18s or whatever, it got more expensive, but yeah. can you provide a range of what just the the a, a typical club baseball, like how much money were you talking about? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can, I mean, you can spend 
five to ten thousand dollars yeah um, easy a year in just your registrations and your and your tournament fees and that might not even be including all of the outside instruction you're getting yeah that may just be participation with your club I, I would say I've seen those numbers you know all the way around I mean I, and I've seen it as you know as little as well if you're talking about tournaments included it's probably going to be at least five to ten. And are you just pretty much driving all over the Metroplex here locally, or do y'all get down to Florida to play? Do you go to California? Oh yeah. We've, we've, you know, I think some, some travel sports, volleyball and others, I've heard they do quite a bit of travel outside of Texas. Really. It's just whatever your club wants to do. Mm -hmm. We were coaching, we took uh, a team to Gulf Shores. We usually tried to have one big travel tournament that, you know, families could, kind of build a vacation around, um, but that also had a big enough tournament that, you know, was something that was very attractive to, to them, see a high uh, number of highly competitive teams, really just mm-hmm. kind of test out where we are. Um, so we went to Gulf Shores. We went to Omaha one year, same time they were having the College World Series. So oh, how fun is that? It was incredible. So in between our tournament games, we'd run over and we'd catch some college games. So yeah. That was a lot of fun. One of our team, well, many of our teams have gone to Cooperstown, New York. Um, wow. There's a big uh, Field of Dreams Cooperstown tournament up there that is incredible. It's a week long. All the kids have to stay in a dorm with their uh, <laughs> with their coaches. And if you want to check them out, you can check them out. But they are officially in dorms. They just walk over to the fields. Uh, it's an incredible experience. Wow. They got to um, love that. Oh, it's incredible. So yeah. and we've done some perfect game tournaments in, we did Nashville two years ago. And what uh, is perfect game again? Perfect game is just an organization that hosts tournaments. Okay. Okay. They provide um, tournaments. Okay. Yeah. We do a lot of up here. We do a lot of perfect game five tool. There's also many travel sports, U triple gotcha. NCS. Uh, there's a ton of different groups out there that host tournaments. Um, but yeah, for, for us, you kind of look for the big ones. Um, you know, we haven't even mentioned, but outside of tournaments, you know, these different groups like five tool, like perfect game, they'll host showcases, which then they'll have, you know, opportunities for you to go out and have, you know, all of your, uh, bat speed and throwing velocity and, um, your, your, pitch and spin uh, rates evaluated and all of these things to kind of build this profile for you. If you're interested in, in keeping track of how you stack up uh, and how you rank uh, across the state, across the country. And so there's a whole nother side of the, the, the baseball world that is these showcases and trying to get noticed by scouts and begin the process of building out your profile to, make sure that you're attractive to college recruits uh, or college scouts as a recruit. So that's a whole nother world within, you know, this whole yeah. select baseball or select sport world. Yeah. And it's actually funny. You should say that that was kind of the last thing you've been so generous with your time, but I wanted to touch briefly before we wrap up here about the recruiting process and, you know, generally how that works or when do scouts start coming? When can they start? Are you doing video? Like what, what are the, the, the major, you know, yeah. 
activities around college recruiting? Yeah, you really start, um, you know, it's interesting you say that, you know, we've got a freshman uh, now he's going into his sophomore year. So Mm -hmm. we've been, you know, deliberately thinking through how best to approach this and looking at what uh, profile organizations are out there. And, you know, there are some that appear to be kind of more of a money grab telling you they'll get you in front of scouts. And um, there are others that I think are a little bit more reputable that uh, make more sense um, that host some showcases and have some different opportunities to get some, some scout looks. Um, But we've, we've already started. Um, We've been to, you know, TCU prospect camps. Uh, next week, he'll be at the AM prospect camp um, looking at DBUs. And so looking at different opportunities around here that we can get him into some of the, the summer hosted college camps just to start becoming more familiar with what they're looking for. Um, they're all varying degrees of, you know, commitment overnights, just days coming out in the evenings. Um, mm-hmm. There are also, you know, great opportunities, like I said, to do some of these showcases uh, where you can start getting some of your stats that you can then personally publish. Our oldest has a Twitter account that he um, posts all of his game stats to and puts all of his videos that Perfect Game and Five Tool organizations will post a video about him or if he'll if he wins player of the game or he has um, some other great stat lines that they post and we, you know, share that. And then at that point, Coppell baseball will then retweet things that he's done. So, and we've seen that with uh, a lot of the kids that are in high school now is it's kind of this self-promotion. Okay. Um, sending emails to coaches, letting them know that you're interested in their programs, um, continuing to share your Twitter account so that they can follow you you know, we're just beginning this journey. Some play, some folks will tell you you should have started this back, you know, in middle school. But for really? us, yeah, for us, it really wasn't something that we were we were just focused on, you know, at the time, spending most of our time working towards playing high school ball. So now that he's there, now we're starting to think about what's the next, you know, piece of the puzzle in terms of looking towards future, you know, college career. The beauty of baseball there's so many programs out there if you want to play baseball after high school yeah for the most part i mean you can go juco you can go d3 all the way up to d1 obviously i mean there are a ton of opportunities out there if you want to play if that's your priority to play baseball there's a ton of opportunities and there are a lot of camps and a lot of ways to get in front of um, different programs yeah and that's one thing i would want to say to any listener out there who is, you know, starting to think about, you know, Oh, I don't know if my, my, my kiddo is really, you know, a D one type type of player. I know through our recruiting uh, efforts with, with our kids, there are so many great schools out there, academic schools that have these athletic programs and, I mean, you can get a top flight education. I think it helps to get you into these schools if you're an athlete. So I would encourage parents to keep that kind of perspective in mind and go, you know, man, can I play at TCU or can I play at Texas and Stanford and, you know, all these other places? There's so many great schools out there and I assume they've got baseball programs. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other, other side of that, we just um, came from a camp who, you know, right out of the, right out of the start, um, they were very specific in saying, 
look, it, it costs a lot of money to come here. And we don't have a lot of baseball scholarships. So it is that much more important that you focus your efforts on academics. One, yes. we look at it, you know, in terms of the type of player profile we're looking to come in. But then academic scholarships are huge to help, yeah. you know, offset the enormous expense of coming to this particular school to play. And uh, I thought that was interesting. They were very upfront about that saying, look, many of many of you won't have parents that can just write a check and afford to get you in. Some of you will, but most of you won't. And you're going to yeah. need academic scholarships. We're going to be looking at your academics. So if you think you're a stud baseball player and everybody's going to be looking at you, you've got to be well-rounded and you've got to have these other things because, you know, we don't want to run the risk of putting you on the team and then ending up that you can't make the grades and you end up, yeah, you know, unable to play. That's, yeah. that's nobody wants. So we tell well, our kids all the time, Hey, those grades are as important as anything else. And if those grades aren't good, we will pull you from baseball. Yeah. It's a hard message to, it's easy to say it's hard to back up, but I think you absolutely have to because in the long haul that, the education is so important. Absolutely. Well, Josh, man, I cannot thank you enough for taking all this time to share your insight about uh, baseball. And I wish you and your boys and the rest of your family uh, good luck on your your journey and um, enjoy the rest of your summer. Hopefully it sounds like you may get some time off here. I enjoyed this. Uh, you know, I always enjoy talking baseball and Obviously, we're going to be doing it for a lot more years. So uh, I'm glad to come on your podcast anytime and certainly appreciate you having me today. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back. So uh, thanks a ton and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Sounds great. What a great treat to have Josh on today. Um, really enjoyed his perspectives on just the time commitment it, it, it takes to not only just have two kiddos playing travel baseball but um you've got you know the team practices and the team events and then you've got individual instruction you know hitting and fielding uh probably also working in some agility work there as well so just really gives you that insight uh, for those who may be tuning in or thinking about getting into club sports uh, kind of level of commitment and, and what's all involved typically in sports. I know outside training was a big part of my 20 years in, in club sports with my own. So, um, and then just the, the talk about high school ball and club ball and how those work together and the importance of having good communication between your club team and your high school team and respecting that and trying to stay healthy and, and not get burned out. Uh, again, very, very insightful. Um, and then, you know, guest players we could probably have a whole series of episodes on guest players alone and i think that's what we're going to start to see is hopefully this this podcast grows is we're going to see common themes across different sports that we're going to get into and have parents come on and talk and have coaches come on and talk about that so i think we're going to get into some really um, insightful information and probably some entertaining stories about uh, guest players alone uh, but anyway, thanks for tuning in today. We're really excited to kind of get this thing going. And thanks again to Josh for taking the time. And as always, welcome to the club. <laughs>